lengthy passage of scripture tonight. And it's, uh, as you look at it, starting with verse 18, we're looking at the church of Thyatira. Thyatira means odor of affliction or unceasing sacrifice. Odor of affliction or unceasing sacrifice. Thyatira pictures, or if you would, gives us an, an understanding of the dark ages of the church. And as we look at this, you'll notice in verses 18 to 29, this is the longest message our Lord Jesus Christ gave to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And as we read this, we'll see some things that he commends them about, some things he condemns them about, and some things he comforts them about. By the way, that's how our Lord works, amen? amen. He commends us. He tells us sometimes uh, some things that we need to fix, but he comes along and comforts us. And we need to hear the word of our Lord because what I'm going to read to you tonight is not something that was just written 2,000 years ago. It's very, very relevant today. Verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest, you might want to write in your margin there, tolerate, thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to, to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. And in all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan. Thank God for those who stay faithful. As they speak, I will put upon you none other burdens, but that which you have already, uh, but that which you have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he that is Jesus Christ shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Father, thank you for the local New Testament church. Thank you, it's the pillar and ground of truth. Thank you, it's the house of the living God. It's called a house of prayer. 
And we pause for a moment to pray for the United States of America and the world at large. Father, we pray for mercies. We pray that God, the angel of pestilence, would stay his hand upon this world. We pray, God, for mercies upon those right now who are, are uh, suffering from COVID-19. We pray for countries where it's out of hand. We pray, Father, for missionaries in countries, for their protection and safety, and churches like ours of like precious faith, <coughs> where, God, their risk factors are perhaps much more than ours. We pray, God, tonight for our healthcare professionals at Heritage Baptist Church for their safety and their protection. And for God, the extra amount of work that's being placed on them. And for Lord, our, our, our first responders here, our police departments, our sheriff's departments, our fire departments, our paramedics, all of them who are at great risk right now. And we pray tonight for revival. Revive us again, O oh Lord. Father, I pray that we would have a contrite heart and spirit because the Bible says a contrite heart and spirit the Lord will not despise. We pray during these days ahead that God's people would humble themselves and seek your face and call unto you. We confess our sins, Lord, that we've been lethargic, complacent, apathetic, lukewarm. Lord, we've stepped over boundaries, perhaps we should not have gone. And right now, the world at large, we must get our eyes upon the Lord. We must turn unto Christ. And as we look at your message to the church at Thyatira, it reminds me of how the devil works insidiously in churches and bringing about doctrines that are not biblical, false doctrines, and Lord, the deception and how God's servants succumb to that. Now, Father, you know tonight I'm not an expert on what is here, but I need the filling of the Spirit and the power of God. And I need that tonight that you help that, Lord, you'd edify your church and build us up in the word of your grace. And we need tonight, Lord, to heed the warnings of the Lord. And we need tonight, Lord, a word of exhortation. And we need, Lord, tonight a word of comfort. And, Lord, we need tonight a, Lord, a word of reminder. And, Lord, we need to be reminded tonight that, Lord, in spite of everything going on, we need, we need wisdom and ideas and discernment so we know how to effectively minister to this world I pray that, God, you'd use the launching of this ministry, Prayer Works, and driving of unchurched and unsafe people into messaging us and contacting us for prayer and willingness to witness to them on the phone. And we pray even through this and these different means that, Lord, we'd see people saved and people that, Lord, you'll add to your church in the days ahead. I'm praying, God, for every single person who has some kind of connection to Heritage Baptist Church for their safety and protection. We pray for those, Lord, who are very, very frightened right now. And, Lord, where, the, where fear has caused them great torment, that, God, you deliver them and they not be afraid. And they'd realize, God, that your hand is upon us. Let your face shine upon this good church, I pray, and help us more than ever before to shine brightly for Jesus Christ. I pray now for this message that you breathe on me as you breathe life into Adam and that the breath of God would breathe life into your people, and I pray for you'd revive us like as you breathe on those dry, dead old bones in the valley of dead bones. I pray, Father God, for a great revival and a stirring of our hearts, and now I pray that my thoughts would be your thoughts and my words your words. We pray these things of you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start tonight with a Q&A. You got some notes in front of you. I want a Q&A, all right? I'm not going to ask you to pop up or anything like that, but Q&A. Number one, question number one. What does the word church mean? What does the word, and you can volunteer if you want, it's the only time we're gonna let you speak up from the, from the platform, from the, from, the, from the pew there. What does the word church mean? What else? What, I heard a good word. What's the word? 
Ecclesia. What's Laodicea? Ecclesia mean? What kind of a called out assembly? Saved and good. All right. Are we local church or universal church? Okay, local church. Who thinks we're universal? Deacons look for them. Okay. Um, who is the founder of the church? Who is the founder of the church? What verse do you give to support this? Matthew 16, 18. All right, my wife's been listening. Amen. What are the ordinances of the church? I didn't say who are the ornery of the church. I said what are the ordinances of the church? Baptism and what else? Okay, what kind of baptism? This? Immersion, okay. What's the requirement prior to baptism? Amen, good, good, okay. Who are the officers of the church? Okay, good. Where did you find that in the Bible? Where do you find that in the Bible? First Timothy 3. First Timothy 3. And there's more than that, okay? Um, what is the authority of a local church? What is the supreme authority of the local church? The Word of God. Our acrostic, Baptist, what's the first word? Bible. Bible is the final word of authority for our Christian living. Okay, you're doing good. Can you name three distinctives of a Baptist church? Why don't you think with me, friend? Can you name three distinctives of a Baptist church? Well, we named one of them, Bible. What else? What else? What about the church? What is something essential about the church? Autonomy. Autonomy. Okay, what else? Priesthood of the believer. Good. What else? Okay, what about the letter I? Individual soul liberty. Good. Okay. I ask you that because it's important as we look at these churches, every one of these churches in Asia Minor had those distinctives. Every one of those churches are local churches. They had local church pastors. Now, let's look at this church of Thyatira just for time this evening, okay? The message of our Lord Jesus Christ to the church of Thyatira consists of 12 verses. It is the longest message Jesus Christ gave to all of those seven churches, and we can see why as we'll get into it in a little, in a little bit here. The name Thyatira, as I said earlier, <coughs> means odor of affliction or unceasing sacrifice. The city of Thyatira was founded by Alexander the Great 300 years before this actual message was given to them. 300 years before that. This church was about 40 miles southeast of Pergamos. I should have brought, done a map for you today. Of that provincial area, Pergamos was the capital. Remember, we saw Pergamos last time. Pergamos was the capital. Now, when enemies came to attack a place, they always wanted the capital because they wanted to take the capital. Thyatira was a city you had to pass through in order to get to Pergamos. Thyatira, many, many times, was the first city of attack. And if you look at the history, the architectural history of the city, it was the city that was broken down and rebuilt, broken down and rebuilt, because that was the first city of attack many, many times. This city had a, had a long history of being torn down and rebuilt, but it was a resilient group of people that were there that stayed there, and in spite of that, they continued to go on. Now, we see a message that, as we get into this tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ touched some man's heart and some woman's heart, if I can say that, to go there and to start a church. And I'll say a little bit more about this. We get into this in a moment. 
But there was a local church that was established in Thyatira. Thyatira, of course, as we know, this was in the modern, the area we call modern-day Turkey. And there was a time, as we'll see, that this church was a thriving church, and we'll see that in a moment here. Now, as we look at this church, Jesus has a word of commendation, he has a word of condemnation, he has a word of comfort, and he has a word of encouragement. I want you to notice, first of all, number one, we see a work. Number one, we see a work. Now, as we look at Thyatira, it was a great production city. It was known for the production of a very expensive purple dye. The purple dye was used in the manufacture of garments. All the wonderful robes that the, the governors and the kings and people like that, that wore, they bought that from Thyatira. Many of you might remember there in Acts chapter 16, Lydia, who got saved, she was the first convert there at the church at Philippi. She was a seller of purple from Thyatira. Now, this purple dye, was very interesting, was either, was either processed through a, the root of a certain plant or more particularly, it was from, a, from a, a specific shellfish. This shellfish, they would take it, and they were able to extract one drop of purple dye, just one drop, out of that. So you can imagine, it would take a lot of shellfish to produce enough dye for a particular garment. Hence, this dye became a very, very expensive commodity that they sold. Thyatira was very famous for this dye. They were the, very, they were the only major city that pr produced this dye and manufactured it. Now, as I say that, I want you to bear in mind here something else. This became a very important commodity, and there were trade guilds in that city, and this was one of their important processing or manufacturing guilds. Now, secondly, Thyatira was famous for its trade guilds. I want you to park and write down in your notes, it was famous for its trade guilds, because this is very important as we, as we go through our study tonight, to understanding what happened here in this city. These trade guilds had very strong influence on the decision of the city. And I guess the best analogy I can give you, if you can look at the modern day unions and the influence they have on different facets of our society, the trade guilds were very, very similar to that. These trade guilds, in fact, as we read this, notice as we go through this chapter, notice uh, some of the things that the Lord wants us to see. The Lord, he gives us, uh, in verse 18, for example, he gives us description of our Lord Jesus Christ, his, that his feet are like fine brass. And most likely, there was the brass smith guild that was in the city. Or you look later on, he talks about in verse 27, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. There were probably ironsmith foundries that were there and trade guilds for them. And he talks about the vessels of a potter and broken pieces of pottery. And most likely there was a pottery guild there. And of course, as we know, we have a manufacturing or a clothing, or if you would, a textile guild that was there in that city there. So this city was very famous for its guilds, for these trade guilds that were there. And we'll say more about that, but you need to park on that for just a moment. Thyatira was also famous for occult worship. And there was a temple dedicated to fortune-telling there. They had a sorceress who ruled that temple whose name was Semboth. Now that's important to understand because this sorceress, all that they knew in that city as far as sorcery and any kind of worship, and you might just call it, just call it and lump it with idolatry worth it, worship, they saw it as something being led by, it had female leadership, it had woman leadership in this. And you look up in your history, this woman by the name of Semboth was very, very famous in her day as being the sorceress who who led that, who led the worship there. 
In spite of all those things that I just told you, all the worldliness and things that were there, there's something we can thank God that was, that was very famous for, and that is and found in verse 18. There was a church there, amen? Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm kind of the place in life, I've been there for a long time, probably why I'm in the ministry, that uh, when I look at cities, I always ask the first question that comes to my mind is, is there a thriving church there? Is there an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, hellfire damnation, soul-winning, preaching church there, amen? I'm always concerned and interested, is there a church there, and what kind of church is there? And I, and I love to hear about these reports, and I love to hear about churches sprouting up. I'm thankful it is a church that we've had for many years now. We've had opportunity to partner with uh, Southwest Baptist Church and Heartland Baptist Bible College during their church planners conference every January, and we send several thousand dollars to help church planners. And it's just encouraging to our hearts that we get reports back from maybe a church that got $500 or $1,000 from us, or someone we've taken on for support for about one year, where these churches are sprouting up and doing great works of God. And I think of over the New York area, I've been praying for several several of the churches there, but I think about the Montoro family and Brother Pete Montoro who started a church there back in 1990, and now his son's passing a church, and there's several other churches they've started throughout New York there, and it's just exciting for us to see those kind of things happen there, but it's an exciting thing to know that in spite of all the things going on there, that God put on somebody's heart there to start a church. Very likely it could be that, uh, that Lydia had something to do with that, that Lydia went back to Thyatira and she, she told people about her salvation, Jesus Christ. Most likely, I think, in Acts chapter 18, I believe that perhaps of the men that went out from Ephesus and that spread the word of God throughout all of Asia Minor, I'm sure there was probably a man at that time and maybe that man got connected, Paul connected that man with Lydia because she was a well-to-do woman. She was a businesswoman who was the one to open her house up for the church to meet at in Philippi and she may have provided the meeting place of the time. Again, I'm giving you conjecture. We don't really have any facts about to support that, but most likely there, there was something there. And it's very interesting that this woman, there was a woman that was involved that helped with the founding of the church, because I'm certain she was burdened for her city and loved her city and wanted to do something about that. And we're thankful that this woman went there to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I say all that to say this as we look at point number one. The church at Thyatira was a work of God. Not just a work, but praise God, it was a work of God. Notice in verse 19, we see their service. Jesus said this, I know thy works. This was a church that was a busy church. The word works is the word ergon. We get our word ergonomic from that. Ergonomic and ergon means hardworking, repetitive motion, working hard. This was a church that was known for its service. It was a busy church. It was a bustling church. Notice Jesus said here, not only do I know thy works, but later on, two words down, he says, I also know your service. Now, it's kind of interesting. Jesus uses the word works, which is ergon, and he uses the word service, which is diakonia. Diakonia is the same word we, we get our word deacon from. Literally, the word deacon means in both Latin and Greek to stir up the dust. It means people that are busy serving God. They're active. They don't shut down. They don't turn off. This was a bustling church. This was a church serving God. This was a church that was stirring up things. He said, I know thy works and thy service. God knows our work and God knows our service. Let me tell you right now, we may be a little bit modified right now in how we do service, but I want to encourage you to keep serving God, to keep be here if we have church cleanup, to be here if we need more volunteers. Hey, men, we need some men who perhaps are not assigned ushers to come see me. We need some ushers to help out here and 
be, be attentive to things, to be on that parking lot. We've got Brother Vin out there who's out there most of the time. I need to get some of those men back inside here so they can be preached to. Amen. Some of you guys need to step up and help in that. I need you, your help as Sunday school teachers and workers and bus workers. I need you to contact those who are not coming to church right now. You need to stay in contact with them for me and be an extension of me and letting them know we're careful. Hey, listen, you can use prayer works right there with them. You can call them up and pray with their families and say, are you stressed out? Are you worried about things? Let me have a word of prayer with you about this situation. I want to get our entire church on a model and mindset. We're ready to pray with people. And we can bring a word from God and we can quote the scriptures to them and encourage them and help them during that time. This was a busy church. This was a bustling church. We see their service. But notice in verse 19, we not only see their service, but we see their spirituality. Now it's one thing to be busy. It's another thing to be productively busy. And it's one thing to be busy and it's another thing to be spiritual. How many understand tonight in our service we must be spiritual in what we do? Amen? And we look at this church here. This church was spiritual in its service. They didn't come to church with a bad attitude. I got met this morning. First thing, someone came up to me and says, I have a complaint to me. And I'm almost going to say, well, go stand in line over there. You know? I mean, just the first thing they said, they didn't say, how are you? They didn't say, I'm going to cough on you. They said, I got a complaint I want to give you there. Well, you know, God bless you too. Amen. You know? And, uh, and you know, we just have to realize tonight that there's, there's a need for spirituality. We need to come to church prayed up, readied up with a good spirit, loving one another, and asking God to help us. Now, notice the spirituality of this church here. He says, I know thy works, and would you notice the very first word? They're charity. Now, it's one thing to be loving. It's another thing to be lovable. Amen. Agape. They love like God loved. These are hard times. If you were one of the unfortunate people that stood in the Costco line this week, I'm praying for you, Amen. You probably got tense and stressed out. You probably got more tense and stressed out. You didn't get your toilet paper, amen, you know? Your hand sanitizer. But during these seasons, we need agape love. We need to love like God loves. We need to be sacrificial. Notice he said, I know thy charity. Notice he said, I know thy faith. I'm praying for ways we can exercise faith during these days. We need to exercise some faith. They stepped out and did some things. They were praying church. Hey, notice something else. The spirituality of this church is not just measuring the charity and not just its faith, but notice their patience. They had to exercise endurance. Hey, we're gonna have to be flexible. We're gonna have to exercise endurance during these, this, this, fluidity, this time of fluidity because we're really not sure how this is all gonna unfold and what's gonna happen with all this situation. And we gotta remind ourselves right now that the, the governor just came out this, this afternoon and he said he wants everybody at 65 and over to stay home for their own safety. And a lot of our, our, our senior saints and elderly, we've been contacting them by phone and as much as we can and by other means, encouraging them. Maybe it's, if they feel like their, their health is compromised or whatever there, to stay home, we feel safer for them. And listen, a lot of our senior saints are gonna need a phone call here and there from someone besides preacher, and they're going to need, they're going to need to be comforted, and they need to know that we love them, and we need to, they need to know we're there. Hey, by the way, we've got a couple of them right now this week. They've got some procedures this week, and they'll need a phone call from some people, and be reminded that they're being prayed for, things of that nature, because there's this great disconnection they're going to have there. Now, this church, all I'm trying to say to you, they, there was, this was a serving church, and this was a spiritual church, but notice something else in verse 19. This was a superior church. Now, they were not superior because that their noses were in the air. And they were not superior because they had built some buildings. And they were not superior because they had, a, they had a steeple on their building. And they were not superior just because they used a King James Version Bible, though that's good, amen? 
And they were not superior just because they had a sewing program and ran some people on a, on a vehicle. They were not superior because they had, they had live stream. No, they were superior because notice the commendation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we had audiovisual, before we had screens, before we had pulpits, before we had PA system, before we had all of these modern technique, uh, technology we have, notice he says this, I know thy works and charity and thy service and thy faith and thy patience and thy works. And he says, and the last to be more than the first. You know what the Lord's telling us? We're a superior church when what we're doing now is more than we did in the beginning. We ought to be doing more soul winning, not less soul winning. We ought to be doing more praying, not less praying. We need to be more worshiping God, not less worshiping God. Amen, come on. Help me out now tonight. He said, I know thy works that thou last are more than the first. And I'm just telling you today, when you get to the end of the line, whenever that may be, it may be said that you did more at the end than you did at the beginning. That's what he's saying there. The last to be more than the first. Members, this is a mature church. Mature churches have people who are serving in different capacities and have an insatiable desire to do more for the glory of God. Members who sacrifice hours. Members who just want to be servants. Members who do more each year. They win more souls. I'm sorry, but I, you know, it just kind of irks me a little bit that we're, we're, we're kind of in this mindset in the 20th and 21st century that we have to evaluate that maybe somebody's got too many ministries or too little ministries and we're trying to figure out all of these kind of things here. And I understand there are time constraints and we're in a commuter society and people are really, really busy, especially in this church. But may I say tonight that during these days ahead, we need to evaluate our effectiveness and doing more for Jesus Christ. We're not just punching in and punching out and doing our thing. We need to be effective. We need to do more. We need to realize we need to be productive. We're not really doing much if we're not productive for God. God wants to do more than the first. So number one, we see a work that's the work of God. Aren't you glad about that tonight? Amen? Amen. But notice number two, we see a woman. Verses 20, 21. In the beginning of this church, there was a woman who helped found the church. Years later, we get to verse 20, we see a woman who confounded the church. (laughs) She confounded the church. Verse 20, this woman was a woman of influence. Jesus had a complaint against his church. He said in verse 20, nevertheless, I have a few things against thee. And there was a pastor there who let this happen. Because he starts on verse 18, I'm writing to the angel of the church of Thyatira. Notwithstanding of a few th- things against thee, because thou sufferest or tolerateth that woman Jezebel. Now, I want you to notice number one about this woman. I want you to consider her mission. I want to describe this woman. Was there a literal woman in that church named Jezebel? I don't believe so. But I think the Lord wanted to get the attention of this church and the pastor and the leaders, they knew who he was talking about. They knew who he was talking about. By the way, when God speaks to you from your word, his word, he, you know when he's talking to you, amen? You know he's talking to you, okay? And the Lord, they knew what was going on here, and the Lord used a name that was very strong to describe this woman because of her deeds, because the name Jezebel would be used here to be analogous with a woman in the Old Testament a real woman in the Old Testament whose name was Jezebel. Now, if you don't know your Bible, I'm going to explain it. And those of you who know your Bible, bear with me. This woman by the name of Jezebel in the Old Testament 
was not a Jew. And her name is not a good name. It is not a name you'd even name your dog. Excuse me, amen? Uh, it is not a good name. You would not give your name, that name to your daughter, believe me, amen? And uh, Jezebel is associated with evil. Everywhere you find her, she's associated with evil, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, she's introduced to us in 1 Kings chapter 16. She is from the nation of Zidon. Her father is the king. She is the king's daughter. She marries the king of Israel, whose name happens to be Ahab. Her name in Hebrew means Baal's husband. Baal's husband. Baal was the god of the rain and of the crops and uh, was a fertility god. It was a big god. Many of the heathen at that time were pagans, worshiped, worshiped Baal. Her name means Baal's husband, Baal exalted, or even in the Hebrew, unchaste. Interestingly, I looked up her name here in the New Testament Greek, and in Greek her name means chaste. She completely fooled everybody. In other words, she presented herself as a godly woman, but she was not a godly woman. She was not chaste at all. Chaste implies pure and moral and godly and holy. She was not, none of that there. And this woman Jezebel in the Old Testament, if you know your Bible about her, she married a weak and sinful king already. Her mission, her mission was to get into Israel and replace the worship of God, that is Elohim, and the worship of Jehovah with the worship of Baal. She made it a law that God would be eliminated, that God's name would be eliminated. That's why when you read 1 Kings 16, when, when uh, Elijah comes to her, it's kind of a slap in her face because his very name means Jehovah is God. He meant Elijah, Jehovah is God, and it was kind of a slap in her face. He says, as the Lord my God liveth, because she basically put a law into place, God is dead. She's the one that instigated that, whole the, that, that wrongful theology of saying God is dead. And so Elijah stood before her and said, well, as long, as long as the Lord my God liveth, he said, there shall be no reign in heaven. So basically Elijah came and he insulted her by his name. He insulted her by the message from God. He insulted her by the fact of saying God was dead. And he insulted her by saying, your God is dead because my God is going to stop the rain. You pray for your God to send rain. Our God's going to stop the rain. Our God's going to affect your crops. Our God's going to affect your worship. Our God's going to affect... And by the way, we see something happening right now just like that. Amen? Her mission was to terrorize that nation. She was an immoral woman. I believe that. She brought in 800 plus priests of Baal. She brought in a whole different form of worship. Her worship, Baal worship, was just like a lot of the pagan worship of the day. It included the fertility cults, which carried over now, as we know, into the New Testament. The fertility cults were basically, they did their sacrifices and worships, but they had these temple prostitutes and things of that nature, just a lot of bad immoral things that went down. Jezebel hunted down and killed or imprisoned the prophets of God. We know that. She threatened to kill the prophet Elijah. She was such a wicked woman that she indulged the, the immature behavior and desires of her husband, King Ahab. And she had Naboth killed to steal his property. She stole his property. And of course, God sent Elijah to her right when that happened. And he, as soon as Baal, as King Ahab saw him, he says, are you the one who troubles Israel? He says, no, you're the one who troubled Israel. 
And if you ever get a chance, listen to the sermon preached by R.G. Lee, Payday Someday, because it deals with this whole matter with, with Jezebel and how God caught up with her on things of that nature there. But this woman's mission, all I want to say tonight, that she was mean and she was nasty, she was evil, she was a usurper, she was a thief, and her mission was to disrupt marriages and the worship of God and to pollute Israel. Her mission, her mission was to replace God and replace the doctrine of God with Baal worship. Now we see her mission there. We go back now over here to the New Testament. And we find a woman here that we're told, notice in verse 20 here, he says, this woman Jezebel, so we know it's a literal woman that's in that church, and God calls her, the Lord calls her Jezebel, so we might understand the, the, just the ungodliness she brought in. And she calls herself a prophetess. Now number one, we see her mission. Number two, would you notice her mayhem. This woman brings mayhem into the church. She brings a mess. She's there to change that church. She's a woman preacher. She's a prophetess. She's a woman that usurped the authority of the local church pastor. She's a woman who most likely usurped the authority and responsibility and the leadership of her husband. She, the Bible says in verse 20, Thou notwithstanding have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants. And I want you to underline that her methodology is a prophetess. She was very articulate as a speaker. She was a very good speaker. In fact, I think she was the best speaker in that church. And there are women that are excellent speakers. I want to take nothing away from that. She was an articulate speaker. She knew her Bible well enough to touch people, but she had an agenda in that church. And the Bible says she taught and seduced God's servants in that church. And we'll see what she did there in a minute. But I want you to see this evening, this woman in her mayhem, how this mayhem came about. How did this church get to the place where this doctrine of Jezebel is introduced and we see that these people who bought into the doctrine of Je Jezebel are called people who went down into the depths of Satan. First, we see her self-description. Would you notice this tonight? Her self-description. She called herself a prophetess. Now, we need to answer the question tonight, and I don't want to be offensive to any, any, anybody here this evening, but we want to answer the question tonight. Does God allow women to preach in the church? Does God have women lead the pulpit? That's a fair question to ask. That's a reasonable question in our society. We have a lot of successful women. I'm for that. Praise God for that. We have some great women leaders. I'm for that. Praise God. By the way, let me say here tonight, before somebody criticizes me or accuses me of something, I want to th tell you tonight, I thank God for the women of our church. I'm, this not, this is, when as I get into this tonight, that you're going to think I'm bashing against women. I'm not bashing against women. I'm married to a woman. I have two daughters and a woman. Praise God for that. Amen. You know, we have a lot of women in our church that serve God. We have some godly women in this church. In fact, we have a lot of godly women in our church. I wouldn't trade the women of this church for the women of any other church. We have some godly women, some good women. They're good mothers. They're good wives. They're good servants of the Lord. They're good nursery workers. They're good in, and as teachers. They're good in a lot of different ways. We have women that step up in a lot of things. But this woman went a step further. This woman, because of her, 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 her personality and other things like this, this woman decided that she would have, she would have, she would exercise or usurp influence inside of that, inside of that church there. And she did. And she was very successful because she called herself 
a prophetess. She said, I am a preacher. I am a prophetess. If you see what's going on in our churches today, if you visit some of the websites of some of the mega churches, the mega site, the, the mega church website will say this. It's Pastor Allen and his co-pastor, his wife. Or they'll say it's Pastor somebody and his wife. And they'll have things like that. And we joke about that, laugh at it. But, we're, but our, our day and age is not very far from where the church of Thyatira is at, if you get what I'm saying tonight. And so notice here tonight, we have to answer that question. Does God, what does God's word have to say about women preachers? Well, go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Help me out here tonight. I need you to go there and say amen when you get there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy 2, this is a very pivotal chapter in 1 Timothy. It's a pastoral epistle. And in 1 Timothy 2, he's writing about, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy about responsibilities in the church. And he's talking about gender roles. Now, there's only, there's only two genders. Help me out here tonight. There's only two genders, male and female. Male and female. Do I have to give an explanation about that? Do I have to give an explanation about that? Okay, because I don't want to go on a tangent right now, okay? And he talks about the roles of men. Men ought always to pray. He says here, verse 8, he says, men, I will therefore that men, now how many understand what a man is, Amen. Men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He said, men, don't be jaded or disappointed if you're not a pastor, you're not a deacon. If you don't have articulation skills, every man can pray. I said every man can pray. Every man can pray. Every man ought to pray. Every man should pray. Come on, come on, come with me tonight, okay? So he talks about the roles of men. Verses 9 to 15, he talks about the roles of women. And the emphasis I want you to notice is in verse 10 is godliness. Now let me understand tonight, I don't need to give you a long articulation. Godliness means to be just like God. And did you know trying to, trying to be a woman in this world and those women at that time had difficult husbands? Husbands who were not godly? Husbands that were not saved? Husbands that came home drunk at night? Husbands that, uh, that basically were philandering? Did you know it was hard for those women to be godly? Women who had to live around swearing and cursing and all kinds of stuff like that. It was very hard for them to be godly women. And Paul said, listen, you're saved right now. And Jesus is in you, and the Holy Spirit's in you. And he says, your goal is godliness, he said there. But notice, as we get to verse 11, 12, and 13, he explains to us the role of the women in the church. The goal is godliness, but he talks about the role. And look what he says here, because he didn't want the women being manipulated and, 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 uh, and being deceived and things like that. So he's talking to the woman, and he's talking to the man. The husband, specifically. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Would you notice verse 12? <coughs> But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, I'm not going to give a long message on but let me tell you very short, quickly what he's saying there. In fact, let me read verse 13 so you can understand that. You say, well, God, God's not being nice. No, no, hold on for a minute. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, what, why is God saying a woman in the church circle is to be silent. Does that mean a woman is not supposed to talk in church? That's not what he's saying. Is he saying that women cannot teach children in the church? That's not what he's saying. Is he saying that women cannot address men in general in the church? That's not what he's saying. Look again what he's saying there. I suffer, he said, let the woman, notice the key word here, learn 
in silence with all subjection. The key word there is subjection. Learning, subjection, submission. The word subjection is the same idea of the word obedience, hupakuo. The word for submission is hupatasso. Hupatasso is the word that we use in a military sense where it talks about being a subjection, being subordinate to a designated leader. And he's saying here in the local church authority, he says, verse 12, in the local church order, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. God is saying we've got to have order in the church and how we do things. And you may not agree with everything that goes on, but we've got to follow the order. The order that God gives works. God is a God of order, not of disorder there. So he's just saying for the woman, number one, she should have a husband who should be concerned enough and spiritual enough that, that she can ask him a question about things in the Bible and she knows that he will try to give the answer. If he can't, he'll get counsel from the pastor and the pastor will help him, guide him through that situation so he can give the right answer to his wife. He's saying basically that when a woman has a desire to learn, she needs to have a godly husband to help her. But she also needs to be in a place where she's not just to step into the, she's not to step into the pulpit and usurp the authority of the pastor or usurp the authority over her husband or usurp the authority over, over the male leadership in that context there. And so he's saying here that in verse 13, verse 12, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. All he's saying there is in this order of things there that God designed that the man, that men are called to preach, men are used of God to preach, men are to preach the word of God, men are the ones to first to surrender to the ministry. It should not be his wife that's surrendering to preach, it should be the husband surrendering to preach. Come on, help me out now tonight. He, he should be the one surrendering to preach. He's the one that preaches the word of God. Now, let's go back to this woman by the name of Jezebel. Go back with me to Revelation. I give you that just to give you some thoughts here now, okay? There are two things as we look at her word prophetess, there are two things that are bothersome. Number one, she stepped over God's boundary line established in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. She called herself a prophetess. She basically was saying, this is the example I want to use. She said, whoever the pastor of Thyatira was, I know you're the pastor but I can preach too. And I'm taking over this class. And I'm gonna give them my ideas. And I'm gonna tell them what I want to do. And I'm gonna do things that, you don't know this, and I'm not gonna tell anything about this, but uh, before I became pastor, I was going through our Sunday school room back there, the, the, the wing of the main auditorium. And this is when we had our Sunday school rooms broken up a little bit there, and I've never shared this story before. I'm gonna share it to you tonight, because it's been many, many years ago. And I saw some material there that was in a woman, a girl's Sunday school class that was taught by a woman no longer in this church. And the Sunday school material that was there, and I looked at it, and it was being given out to our students without any disclaimers. There was no pastoral disclaimer, and I know our pastor at that time did not, would not have approved that, and was using non-King James verses. And I'm for the fact that it was promoting creation, but without the proper disclaimers. There was no approval on this, and it was all over there in that room, and that was not the only thing that was being given out. There were other th documentation that was given out that did not promote a King James Version uh, position of the church there, which basically, I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, if he establishes as a pastor, this is what we're using. It's being disrespectful to go around that and do wrong against that. And so I confronted that person about it, and they didn't like it. And there are many other times I had to confront that person about it to keep my pastor out of it so I can best represent him on that situation. And, and I was not a very good friend of that person at that point in time. They decided to distance from me on that. And they had a different persuasion and they would use that platform inside that Sunday school room to try to persuade those girls and get their minds and evilly affected on things of that nature. Thank God that none of those girls fell for that kind of stuff. But I'm just telling you tonight right now, this woman decided that she would use her influence for her own benefit. She used her influence as a prophetess, as a woman of great articulation to influence people. Now, all of us have influence. All of us have influence. 
How you use your influence determines what's going to happen in people's lives. If you're not very careful, you can use your influence to lead people away from God instead of to God. And you can lead people through your influence to lead them to yourself and usurp the authority of your pastor and we can have a lot of trouble in the church. We'd have a church split right there. I just counseled a church, a pastor, just two weeks ago. My wife was there when I was on the call with him. He's preached here. He's a good man. He's a godly man. He walks with God. He's a prophet of God. He's a church much larger than ours. And he said, Brother Fah, I need to call you about two things. I need you on a conference call for something, and I need you here for something else. I need to get counseled because I'm eating up with this. Did you hear about it? He told me about the man on his staff that was doing some things and some things going on there. And basically, some things went on. This man had been using his influence as a paid staff member, as a man who had a Sunday school class and other capacities, basically going around and using the church credit card, taking people out for lunches and dinners like that, and influencing those people. And he said, Pastor Fong, I need your help. What would you do in this situation? And he described it, and I asked him a lot of questions. I spent 30 minutes asking him a lot of questions. What was going on so I could get all the facts together and basically I told that preacher I said you've got a problem on your hands and I said I'll pray for you that God will give wisdom discernment this is what I would do but I'm not there and I don't understand everything going on I don't know the intricacies of all your church and your people so I said I'm a little bit of a disadvantage but this is what I would do based on that set of circumstances but that doesn't mean you should do that and I'm just saying tonight we need to be very very careful that when we get crossways and we don't agree with something and by the way a COVID-19 virus situation we're not going to agree on everything that's going on here and you might get cross ways, and you might decide that you've got a different idea, and I'm for your ideas and things like that, but we have to come to a time. When we say we're going to have church, we're going to have church. If you decide you don't want to come, I respect that decision, but I want you to understand tonight, we're not going to be divisive on issues pertaining to the things of God. I said we're not going to be divisive pertaining to the things of God. And so this woman was not just content being a prophetess. Secondly, she was usurping authority over a man. She was usurping authority over a man, over God's man. She said, I'm going to assume responsibility here. I'm going to be the prophetess. And she took upon herself, she created her own little Bible institute inside that church. She was teaching and seducing. Seducing means to deceitfully draw away. She was seducing naive unlearned, ungrounded men in the scriptures to follow her way in her winsome, persuasive ways. So in her self-description, she was a prophetess. But notice, secondly, her sinful doctrine. We're still under her mission right now. Or, excuse me, her mayhem. Notice again, two things she seduced the servants of God to do. She seduced the servants of God to commit fornication. Now, I've read a lot of things on this, and there's divided thought on this. You could believe literally that she was leading them into immorality, and I believe she did, because Jezebel did that. That's why this woman's called Jezebel. Those priests, those priests that were on Jezebel's payroll, they were fornicators. They were immoral men. And this woman, I do believe that she was doing that. There's some that believe and say that this is an illusion, this is an image that's speaking about a, 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 a basically that she led them into worldly behavior. I believe that too. I think she would did more than that because this church had a lot of corruption in it, as we'll see in a minute. And, uh, and then she led them to eat things sacrificed to idols, which you think you'll scratch your head and say, wait a minute. Paul said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 8 under Christian liberty that it's not, it's not wrong to eat it unless it, it, it weakens the conscience of somebody else. And we understand that, but there's a, there's a principle here. 
Remember I said earlier that one of the things Thyatira was famous for were the trade guilds. Remember that? It was famous for the trade guilds. And I mentioned about three or four trade guilds that were there. Now the big thing that happened in Thyatira were these trade guilds. All the men who worked and had a job had to be part of a trade guild. Pottery trade guilds, ironsmiths, brass smiths, uh, you name it, uh, textile, mercantile, okay, all of those trade guilds, fishing guilds, whatever it is, whatever the businesses were there in Thyatira, every man, I'm talking about man now, every man belonged to a trade guild. And one of the weekly activities, the many weekly activities the men enjoyed doing, you look it up yourself, that the men enjoyed getting involved with was going to these trade guild meetings because they would be served a sumptuous meal which would include a lot of meat. And with these meals, because their wives were not there, there was the offering of alcoholic beverages, and the men would get drunken, and sometimes other forms of substance abuse and substance intoxication, and they were enticed with immoral behavior, as many of these kind of situations are, where women came in and things came in, or they went out from there and did things, and pardon the terminology, but these things became glorified orgies is what they did. It was very gross, very immoral, very wicked. But a church in Thyatira got started, and men started to get saved out of those trade guilds. Amen. Men started to get saved, and men started to get their lives turned around, but they faced great pressures just as today when someone gets saved. They faced great pressures because if you were in the pottery trade, you had to depend, you had to go to those trade guild meetings, which they were not supposed to do now. They had to go to those trade guild meetings, and they were, they were in a quandary what to do there. And you can imagine the church of Thyatira, you've got all these men there that, that, are, that are saved, they're part of these trade guilds, and they're in a quandary what to do about, what, about going to these meetings because if they didn't go to their meetings, they'd lose their job. And of course, these men are weakened in faith. That's why it says she taught and seduced these servants of God, these servants, these men, and they were weak in faith and weak in conscience and weak in their morals. And, and these were men that participated in such things. And these were men that got drunk before. And these were men that got intoxicated before. And these were men that were moral behavior before. And so they're still very weak in their ways. And this woman that comes about in that, in that circle, and I believe she was unsaved, I believe she was unsaved, and she found her way in there, fooled everybody she was saved, and she got in there, and basically the Bible says she taught and seduced those servants. Well, who was she teaching and seducing? She was teaching and seducing these men that it was okay for them to have immoral behavior and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, I want you to park with me for a minute on that thought, food sacrificed to idols. Go with me to Acts 15.29. Go with me to Acts 15.29. Please turn there real quickly there. I'm going somewhere with this. I'm almost there. Are you with me? Now, in Acts 15, if you remember that chapter, you're going to read it again tomorrow because this is going to put a big spotlight on it. Paul and Barnabas have gone to Jerusalem to speak to the apostles about Gentiles getting saved. Remember that? This was a big conference there. Because Jews, many of the Jews were saying, well, you know, you need to add Judaism to these things. And in Acts 15, 29, here's James with the other apostles said. This is the second time they said it, but notice that verse. Would you notice? He says, now, Paul, when you go back, you tell these Gentiles who got saved out of paganism, you tell them, verse 29, that you abstain from meats offered to idols 
and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication. Now, wait a minute. What's he saying there? In those days, in those days, the apostles knew and Paul knew these men were weak and these men were susceptible to temptation. And you'll notice in verse 29 here, these are not separate items. These are things all interconnected to each other. He says, now when you go back, you go back and tell those men that they are to abstain from meats offered to idols and from eating blood and from things that are strangled and from fornication. That all went together because these men, if they were in trade guilds or they were worshiping paganism, they were involved with all those things here. Now watch what happens here, okay? These men in these trade guilds get saved. They're in the church of Thyatira. The preacher gets up and preaches about a sanctified life. He says, now the grace of God saved you from, from all your sin. And that's the key word I want to give you tonight, the key phrase, the grace of God. The grace of God has saved you from your sins. And you need to trust God's grace, and you read Romans chapter 6 for this, because grace, where sin abounds, grace much more did abound. He says, now you trust God's grace to help you to stay sanctified and set apart from those things. But these, women, these men were struggling. They were having difficulties. They were struggling. They were concerned about the financial implications and the family implications and the social implications and the business pressures. And so this woman, this prophetess who is called Jezebel comes up and she says, well, I've got a solution to that. She says, this is her solution. Watch this now. Watch this. Because she just brought out the church of Thyatira. She unleashed a doctrine that is called the depths of Satan. That's described as coming from the very depths of hell itself. And right now it's present in many of the contemporary churches. And a lot of our young Baptists are going to right now. She unleashed at that time a doctrine that is known in our circles as antinomianism. And antinomianism basically is perverting the grace of God. And here's what she was saying. Oh, you know you're saved by grace anyway. And so you're saved by grace, and we realize you sin. Guess what? You're saved by grace. It's okay for you. You can go back to that sinful lifestyle. It's okay. You can, keep, you can cheat on your wife every now and then. It's okay. You can get drunken over here. And it's okay. You can eat these meats offered to idols. I know what that old fuddy-duddy Paul told you. Paul told you from James that you're not supposed to eat meats offered to idols. And he said, you're not supposed to. And by the way, let me just say this. The reason why there was a lot of meat served at those places, those men at those guilds, those men would save a portion of the meat, and they would go back home and they would offer that meat back to their idol and so for a lot of those men just like a lot of people we deal with they it take it took them a little bit of time to get their 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 to get their idol shells removed there and so they still have idol shells or they maybe they had a wife that wasn't saved and they would put back an idol shell so they would keep a little bit of that meat to bring it back and offer that meat to the idols just as idol worshipers do today and so this woman this prophetess Jezebel comes and she says listen it's okay if you're under the grace of God and she was teaching this in their classes and from a platform there if you're under the grace of God it's it's okay for you to sin. It's okay for you to go back into that, that lifestyle there. And he would, she was teaching them that grace gives them a license to sin. She said, if you're saved, you're going to heaven anyway. Your sins are forgiven. No, no problem with the pagan lifestyle. Look at it again. Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. That means they were in acceptance. That means they tolerated. Hey, we live in the age of toleration, amen? Toleration. You need to tolerate people. 
You're a hate monger if you don't tolerate. I'm sorry, I tolerate what God tolerates. And so, notice verse 20. She deceived and drew away God's servants to commit fornication. Antinomianism is a perversion of God's grace. It teaches that living under grace gives you the license to live a worldly lifestyle. Legalism is wrong as well. Legalism is the doctrine which denies liberty. But license is the doctrine which perverts liberty and teaches that because you're free in Jesus Christ, therefore you are free to sin. That is the pro- Listen, watch this. Later on, I'll say something about this in a minute. Notice verse 23. He speaks about Jezebel's children. Did you know the contemporary church is not going after old people like me? They're going after your children. They're going after young people. Because they're teaching them, and you young guys over here, they're teaching antinomianism. That didn't start in the 20th century. This was back to the church of Thyatira, the perversion of grace. Do you get what I'm saying tonight? There's no, nothing new under the sun, brother and sister in Christ. You young people around this room, the devil's play is to go after you, to tell you that the church is too strict, the church is too hard, the preacher preaches too much against sin and all these things. I'm telling you tonight, if you don't take a literal adaptation and application and faith and belief in the word of God, you're going to lead, you're going to lead yourself into perversion of grace. Now they call it hyper grace. Hyper grace. I said something about that the other day when I was preaching from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If you bought into the doctrine of Jezebel, the terminology they're going to use is the hyper-grace movement. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book about grace back in the 90s, and that stirred that whole thing in. We're doing it with it right now. We have a large number of Baptist young men. They're younger than me. They're the age of Justin and, and uh, Brother Irwin and AJ and guys like that and Vaughn, and they're seeing their own friends go off in that direction. And I'll tell you where it starts. First of all, it starts with the music in the church. Because they're going after the young people of the church. Jezebel always has her descendants. The people who are always hurt through the doctrine of antinomianism are the young people. There's one down in Silicon Valley we lost some families to a few years ago. They gave me the name. I said, I know exactly what's going to happen. It's the music. And so it starts with the music. And they come as they want. They do as they want. There's no accountability. The pastors are living in sin. I said the pastors are living in sin. Antinomianism. Hypergrace. It was, why is it wrong to eat things sacrificed to idols? Because things sacrificed to idols always involve licentious behavior. Today, we idolize our careers our success, and our money. On a lighter way, you could say the fornication here was friendship with the world. God calls it the depths of Satan. It's a doctrine right out of hell. And here's the problem. 
a person makes a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, but they want to hold on to the pornography. They want to hold on to immoral behavior. They want to hold on to drunkenness and swearing and cursing and all those things. You can't hold on to both. You, you can't serve God and, ba- and, 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 and you can't serve God and the devil. It's either one or the other. You got to decide that you're going to, you, that, that's, why, that's why Elijah stood before the prophets of Baal. Choose you this, he, he said to them, now who are you going to serve today? If God be God, follow him. Who are you going to serve today? And the infiltration was very invasive. Look at verse, again verse 20. She got a position of leadership. She usurped authority. Nobody had a problem with it. And let me, let me give the biggest thing that really bothers some here to me in verse 20. This is a problem in a lot of our churches right now. It happened because of ignorance about the holiness of God. That's why holiness, the doctrine of separation, is all about the holiness of God. When you, when you boil it down to the, the essence, it's all about the holiness of God. Are you with me? You with me tonight? You don't need me to give you a two-hour message on holiness. Holiness is what God is. That's all it is. And typically today, the typical Baptist church tolerates a lot of things that are socially acceptable, but they're not scripturally acceptable. I said they're socially acceptable, not scripturally acceptable. The typical Baptist church today tolerates sinful lifestyles instead of lifting up a sovereign Lord. It's compromise. It's compromise. The doctrine of Jezebel. Thirdly, would you notice the warning? Are you with me? I can, I can end tonight if you want to go. Who wants to go home? I'll end right now. You want to go home? Do you, you want me to continue? You want to go home? It's, it's almost 7 o'clock. I got 10 more minutes. Got 10 more minutes. All right, I'm going to continue. Cover your face. Don't breathe, all right? Hold your breath. Thirdly, a warning. Verse 23, verse 20, 21, excuse me. First of all, we see the Lord's patience. And even with the Jezebel there, aren't you glad for the mercies of God? <laughs> he said, I gave her space to repent. That's kind of interesting. He gave her space of grace, even though she perverted grace. Amen? I gave her space to repent of her fornication. I gave her space. By the way, God gives you and me space to repent of our sins. I'm thankful for that. But she repented not. Secondly, we see the Lord's punishment, verses 22 to 23. Quickly, the Lord gives three I wills. 22, I will cast her into a bed and them that commit adultery with her. I said she was immoral. And I will cast them into great tribulation except they repent of their deeds. There are many who believe in this passage, and I hold the same. This woman was not saved. She needed to repent. And those who said they were saved, but stayed in their same lifestyles, I don't believe they were saved either. And he said, he said here, verse 22, he's using an image that was very, very colorful, imaginative. I will cast them into a bed, and all of them into great tribulation. There's trouble ahead. There's trouble ahead. If you, if you, if you tolerate that, listen, all those churches that are, that are practicing hyper grace, 
They, they lost the authority of God on them. They don't have the authority of God. They could talk about all the souls being saved and the big crowds and all that. I don't even pay attention to that. And they'll get their name in some church growth magazine. I don't even care about that. They do not have the authority of God upon their lives. No way. No way. No way. Andy Stanley, he does not have, the, he does not have God's authority on that church. No way. He, he's a, he, this, that man is a heretic. He's a heretic. You go look it up, okay? The stuff he advocates, he's a heretic, Okay? And I'm just telling you right now, you look at that stuff, and by, the Bible says, I will cast them into great tribulation. Secondly, I will kill their children. I've watched these churches. I've watched these churches. And I'm sad to tell you, I'm not saying, I don't say it with a joyous heart. Those young people start off, they're all, they're all rocking with Jesus, amen? They're all going at it there. Flip-flops to church and all that kind of stuff there. No reverence for God. Now you fast forward 10, 10, 12 years later. To them, faithfulness to church is once a quarter. And you watch this with this COVID-19. We're going to see the church at Laodicea. Everyone's going to be comfortable watching church from home. Don't you get comfortable doing that from home. Amen. I'll preach harder and longer. You say, well, I'll turn you off. No, you won't. I'll come and haunt you. Amen. You know. I will kill their children with death. They're spiritually dead. He gives a third I will. Verse 23. And I will kill their children with death, and all the churches shall know. He said, all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins of the hearts. Hey, he said that in verse 18. He said, I've got eyes like in a flame of fire. Hey, God sees everything. He sees everything. He searches everything. He's searching our hearts right now. He says, I search the reins of the heart. And then he said in verse 23, I will give unto every one of you. That means us too. I give unto every one of you according to your works. Finally tonight, we see a work. We see a woman we see a warning very quickly tonight. Would you see the word? Would you notice in this passage, Jesus is at the beginning of the message, the one who sees all things, the one who's judged. Whenever you see the word brass, brass is a picture of judgment. Like Samson had fetters of brass. He was judged. He was chastened for his sin. He's in the middle of the message. He makes it very clear. He's against the perversion of grace. He's against hyper grace, antinomianism. He's against the liberal church. He's against worldly Christians. I'm just telling you what the Lord says, amen? But he's also at the end of the message. That's why the authority of a local church is the word of God. He's not just at the front end. He's all throughout all of it. He's with us right now in this COVID-19 crisis. And he'll be with us when the rapture comes. Amen. And so at the end, our Lord gives us a word quickly. Verse 24, write this down. He gives us a word of comfort. But unto you I say, thank God he's speaking to me and you. And unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine. Aren't you glad there were some who didn't buy into that? 
Aren't you glad there were some people down there that said there's something wrong with this doctrine? Aren't you glad there were some people there that said there's something wrong about these new things that are going on in the church there? He said, unto you I say, unto the rest in Thyatira, and as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan, they didn't cross the line, they held the stand, they held a fire, they stayed with the preacher. And he says, as they speak, he said, I will put upon you none other burdens. That's comfort. But I'm going to tell you, their offerings were affected. And the morale was affected. And the spirit of the church was affected. But God says, those of you who held the line, I will put upon all of you none other burden. Secondly, a word of comfort. Secondly, notice he gives a word of courage. But that which ye have, hey, aren't you glad for what we have, amen? amen. But that which you have already, hold fast till I come. You're always gonna have a Jezebel doctrine in the church. You're always gonna have a Jezebel that's going to try to seduce the servants, to teach, to teach them fornication, and to seduce them to, to, to eat meats offered to idols, that kind of thing. But the Lord says, hold fast till I come. Hey, help me out tonight, church. Let's hold fast. Let's hold fast. Amen. Amen. Let's hold fast. You with me? Amen. Let's hold fast. Let's hold fast to the Bible. Hold fast to shout. Hold fast to fire. Hold fast to good spirit. Hold fast. Then he gave them a word of conquering, verse 25. Excuse me, verse 26. And he that overcometh, there's that word nikos. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works to the end. That's why I keep telling you, let's stay with this thing. We gotta keep the works to the end, amen? He that overcometh and keepeth my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And I think that's both right now in missions. I believe what he's saying to us for application, the Lord, as we try to keep his works and do what's right, and by the way, keep up your faith promise giving right now, God will still bless our endeavors to get the gospel out. Power over the nations is not military power. It's getting people saved. Amen. It's getting the gospel to the nation. Do you with me tonight? Okay. Now, I'm not sure how our missions thing is going to unfold later this year because we already have a missionary that was really looking forward to it. I just told you he's coming that cannot come now because if he leaves his country, he may not be able to get back in because of COVID-19. I'm not sure how this unfolds. And we have another missionary coming from a country that I'm a little concerned that they are late in delaying information about COVID-19. I'm not sure if I want him to come. He might be infected and things, and it wouldn't be good for him. It wouldn't be good for us and other places, but we'll see how that unfolds. I'm just saying tonight, it doesn't change missions, though. There are people planted in those countries who still need our help and our support. But he's also talking millennial. He's talking about faithful Christians who have rulership over cities, as we understand, in the millennium. It's a word of conquering. Then finally tonight, a word of closeness. Look at verses 26 and 27. 27, 28. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Now what does he mean by that? Well, there's a lot I could give you, but we need to end. Sometimes earthly leadership will fail us. Husbands will fail as leaders. Churches have struggled with pastors that have failed. The biggest fears I have is I don't want to fail as a pastor, amen? 
Men will fail. Jesus never fails. Verse 26, he had to get their eyes back on the Lord. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. Now what's he saying here? Number one, Jesus Christ is our hope. He said, let God deal with these these yahoos there. Let, Let God deal with that situation. And then he said, verse 28, and we're done, I will give him the morning star. There's so much I can say about that, but I just want to say this tonight. When I get to Isaiah 14, I'll say more about the morning star and a little bit there because uh, in the, the modern-day perverted versions of the Bible, the, the, they basically call Lucifer the morning star. Jesus Christ is the only morning star. He's the bright and morning star. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. The devil is a false light. He is darkness. And so what does he say? What does he mean? I will give him... The morning star. What's he mean by that? I will give him the morning star. I'm going to close with this word of encouragement. Jesus said, you've always had me, and you still have all of me. I give you all of me. I give you all of me. He says, in the midst of turmoil and discouragement and hurt and confusion and lack of leadership, you have me. It's a word of closeness. You have me. And I want to end tonight. You may not have the COVID-19, praise God, and you might lose your job tomorrow, but you have Jesus. You have Jesus. He said, I will give him the morning star. You've got him. There's light on the horizon. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Amen. Amen. You don't have to be discouraged. Be concerned, but don't be obsessed. Be informed but you've got the morning star. Don't forget when you leave tonight, he said, I will give him the morning star. I'll give you all of me. You've always had all of him. He had to remind us, we still have all of him tonight, amen? Amen. And so tonight, what do we pray for? Purity of doctrine. A holy church. A fervent church. A missions-minded church. A soul-winning church. A praying church. A loving church. God's church. We have all of him. And Peter put it this way, let the day star arise in your hearts. That's our Lord. Would you love him tonight? Don't be a Jezebel. I'm talking men too. Don't be someone that comes in with some crazy doctrine there. And you guys help me hold the fort here. Hold fast that which you have already till I come, he said. Let's stay by the stuff. Tonight, Would you assemble around the auditorium and let's pray for revival. Let's pray for the holiness of God to come down, the fire of God to come down. I really didn't know how this message was going to unfold tonight. I really didn't understand. I I put my notes together. I really didn't know how it was going to come out, but I pray it was understandable to you tonight. The doctrine of Jezebel, the depths of Satan, but Jesus said, I will give him the morning star.